بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We were discussing yesterday the ways in which we can experience enjoyment, satisfaction in our ibadah. Lajjat in ibadat. And the two ways for achieving that that were discussed yesterday was to have the correct intention when doing the deed and to do it in accordance with the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This will bring that lazzat and enjoyment in the ibadah. And this is something that is physical, that is tangible, to physically enjoy the ibadah. Till this day and age, you will find people who are able to spend hours in the ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Hazrat Mawla Inamul Hassan sahab rahimahullah, Haji Baipadiya rahimahullah, they used to spend hours in dua. Hours. We find people in our day and age, mashallah, spending hours in tahajjud salat, in tilawat of Qur'an. This is a sign that they were experiencing that satisfaction in the ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it is indeed achievable in today's day and age. Imam Abu Abdul Rahman al-Sulami rahimahullah, a scholar among the earlier ulama, mentions a third reason and a third way in which we can achieve laddat in ibadat and enjoyment in our ibadah. And that is, he says, to ensure that your earnings are from halal and what you consume is halal. If somebody eats that which is pure and halal, then one of the effects and one of the direct effects of that is that he will want to do ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This will spur him on. In Arabic there's a saying, إِذَا أَكَلْتَ الْحَلَالِ أَطَعْتَ اللَّهَ شِئْتَ أَوْ لَمْ تَشَأْ وَإِذَا أَكَلْتَ الْحَرَامِ عَصَيْتَ اللَّهَ شِئْتَ أَوْ لَمْ تَشَأْ If you eat halal, if what you consume is from halal, then you will automatically obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whether you want to or you don't want to, whether you intend to or not. But by the barakat, the mere fact that you are consuming halal, this will automatically lead you to the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if what you are consuming is not halal, it is haram, then automatically you will end up in the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whether you intended it or not. So consuming halal will lead us to the ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and will also create that enjoyment and that ecstasy in the ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We heard from our Asatida that the ulama of Dioban, the Asatida, those who used to teach in Darul Ulum Dioban many years ago, they used to get one dawat a year, one, one invite a year by a particular laborer in Dioban. He was a woodcutter or somebody who was a hard laborer. And every day from his earnings he used to keep aside a portion <coughs> so that he could amass enough through which he could arrange this meal and invite the teachers of the Darul Ulum. Those Asatida used to mention that we used to wait for this person's dawat. Because after that, for the next 40 days, the kafiyat and the experience and the feeling in our ibadat used to be very different. That enjoyment that they used to, that they used to experience from the dawat of that person who was earning a pure 
hard livelihood and halal livelihood, for 40 days they used to feel the effects of that, the good effects of that. So respected friends and elders, if we do not find the drive within ourselves to engage in ibadah, over and above the faraiz, to do the faraiz is obligatory, we have to. But the nawafil, whether it be nafil salah, nafil tilawat, dhikrullah, durood sharif, nafil sadaqah, the taraweeh at night, you have to keep pushing yourself and you're feeling lazy and you're feeling it difficult. Then let us inspect in our lives. Firstly, is our intention correct? Are we doing it solely to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or is it, or it, it has just become a routine and a norm in society, so I'm also engaging in it. Rectify our intention. Stand up in taraweeh salah at night for the sole purpose of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the sunnah of the Khulafai Rashidin. And whatever ibadah we are doing, it should be done in accordance to the way shown to us by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. My respected Ustad, Hazrat Mawana Fazlur Rahman A'zami, Hafizahullah, the Shaykh al-Hadith of Darulum Azadwal, his entire life he, sp- he spent teaching in the classroom and going out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and lecturing from the member. But till today, Hazrat Rahimahullah, in most of his lectures, he will speak about the importance of rectifying our namaz, our salah. And he says sometimes a person is reading salat for 20 years, 40 years, 50 years reading namaz, but still is not correct. Still his namaz is not in accordance with the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It might seem that Hazrat is, his talk is very plain and simple and is repeating the same thing. But if you look around us, then this is a very, very pertinent topic and very serious as well. If salah, which is the greatest act of ibadah, the most important command of Allah after iman is salah. If our salah is also not in accordance to the sunnah, then what can we say about the rest of our ibadat? So inspect it. Are we reading it according to the sunnah? Are we reciting the tasbihat like we ought to recite the tasbih? Are we, you know, our motions in salah, are they slow enough? Are we making qirat and tilawat properly, etc.? Inspect your, your amal, is it according to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? And thirdly, let us ensure that whatever we consume is from halal means. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam every morning after Fajr used to make dua for pure halal earnings. This obviously was a message to the ummah and to teach the ummah that from the morning this should be your concern. Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'a wa rizqan tayyiba wa amalan mutaqabbala. After every fajr, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to make this dua, Oh Allah, I ask you for beneficial knowledge. Today, I'm going to meet many different types of people. We're going to come into contact with a lot of different situations. A lot of information is going to be shared. And in this day and age, the amount of information, the information flood. So, Oh Allah, give me access only to that which is beneficial. From the morning if you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ilman nafi'a, knowledge that is beneficial to me. I don't need to know things that are, that are of no benefit to me. La ya'ni and things that are of no benefit has, has filled our day, unfortunately. Has filled our screens, has filled our timelines. 
Layani, most of what we are consuming unfortunately and hearing and talking and gossiping is layani. Layani meaning things that don't concern us, have got no real benefit to us. And a lot of it got no benefit in dunya also and obviously no benefit in deen. So Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'a wa rizqan tayyiba. And oh Allah, I ask you for pure earnings, for pure rizq and pure sustenance. It must not be tainted, mustn't be haram, must not be doubtful. Every morning our Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would make this dua. And this is a dua we ought to inculcate in our lives, morning and evening and all the time. وَعَمَلًا مُتَقَبَّلًا Oh Allah, I ask from you accepted actions. I will carry out my a'mal, I will read my salah, etc. But it must be accepted in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And coming back to this topic of consuming halal, if somebody does not consume halal, if what he is earning and consuming is haram, then leave, leave aside you know, experiencing satisfaction in the ibadat and wanting to carry out ibadah and be obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ibadah is not even accepted in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And consuming halal doesn't mean only buying from certain certified outlets the chicken you are eating or the meat you are eating and the food you are buying and the sweets the children are eating to check if they are certified. That is one aspect. And the other aspect is how we earn that money that we are earning. How we are earning that money at the end of, at the, end of the month we are being paid or daily we are engaging in business. Have we really fulfilled those duties like we ought to have fulfilled? Is it justified or am I lying, am I cheating, am I, deceiting, am I deceiving people? Like we say, wheeling and dealing, stealing from one person and giving charity somewhere else. That also is something that needs to be checked and unfortunately that the source of income of people has become more and more doubtful and more and more tainted. And in the business world, respected friends and elders, very quickly... Very quickly a deal that could have been permissible can become impermissible. With a small difference in the way you spoke, in the, way you, in the impression you gave, the way you worded yourself. The famous hadith of Rasulullah where he warned us against haram and against doubtful things. All the muhaddithun who have quoted this hadith in their books, the famous muhaddithun who have quoted this hadith in their books have quoted it in the chapter of Buyu'ah. The chapter of buying and selling, the chapters of trade, as the Shaykh Rahimahullah explains, that the ulama have quoted this hadith in the chapters of trade because that is where most of the doubtful things happen. So we have to be very, very particular as to how we are earning our, our livelihood. What are we feeding our children? On one hand, we are speaking about us consuming halal and, and coming into the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The children are being disobedient to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Children are disobedient to their parents. This is also one primary cause. That are they being fed that which is halal and pure? If they are being fed haram, if they are being fed even things that are doubtful, respected friends and elders, then like we know, you are what you eat, you are what you consume, what you put in will come out, what you plant into the ground will grow. So if we are planting haram and doubtful food and nutrition etc. into our children, then that's exactly what's going to come out of them. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa gave a beautiful example to show us the ill effects of haram. 
when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna Allah tayyibun la yaqbalu illa tayyiban. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pure and he only accepts that which is pure. ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ الرَّجُلَ يُطِيلُ السَّفَرِ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned the example of a traveler who is on a lengthy journey. أَشْعَثَ أَغْبَر And he is in a pitiful state. He's, he's covered in dust. His hair is disheveled. يَمُدُّ يَدَيْهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ He raises his hands to the sky making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. يَقُولُ يَا رَبِّي يَا رَبِّي and he uses these words, Oh my Rabb, Oh my Rabb, begging and asking from Allah to fulfill his need in that pitiful condition. But on the other hand, everything he consumed was haram. What he ate was haram, what he drank was from haram sources. What he's wearing was purchased with money that was earned through haram sources. فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ لَهُ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, then how can this person's dua be accepted? How can it? In other words, it's too, it's, you can't even expect that his dua be, be, be accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Our ibadat is not acceptable in the court of Allah if we are consuming haram. And ulama make a very, very important point here that this person mentioned in this hadith, he had four reasons for his dua to be accepted. Four reasons. Any of them normally, if they are found individually, any one of them, if they are found in a person, his dua is readily accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This person had four such reasons. Firstly, he was a musafir, and we know the musafir's duas are accepted. And this hadith says he was on a long journey. Yutilu safar. Number two, ash'atha akbar. He was in a pitiful condition. Anyone would have pity on someone who is covered in dust, Hey, is this shavil, etc. That was his condition. And the hadith says, رُبَّ أَشْعَثَ أَغْبَرَ مَدْفُوعٌ عِنْدَ الْأَبْوَابِ لَوْ أَقْسَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ لَأَبَرَّهُ People like that in a pitiful state, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts their duas. And then he raised his hand making dua. In the hadith of Tirmidhi Sharif, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, when a person raises his hands and asks from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so to say, feels shy. To allow those hands to drop without fulfilling the request. Like when somebody comes to beg from you, then one is somebody just asks, you know, as you're walking past, and the other is a person puts their hand out and says, give me something. That is more convincing. That creates more pity in your heart. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, when somebody raises his hands and makes dua, then Allah doesn't allow it to drop without fulfilling the request and accepting the dua. That's the third reason. And the fourth reason, he used the words, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi in his dua. And in some riwayat is mentioned, any person who repeats Ya Rabbi three or four times in his dua, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept that dua. So these are four different means through which the duas would have been accepted if any one of them were found. He had all four. Still Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is saying, فَأَنَّا يُسْتَجَابُ How can his dua ever be accepted when what he is consuming is from haram, what he is wearing is from haram. His earnings are haram. So to put this in perspective, a man can be dressed fully in the sunnah. He can be reading five times salat in the masjid. He can be seen as a very generous person in society. He can be going for hajj and umrah. Like we find so much today. 
he can be mixing with the most senior of ulama also. In other words, I'm trying to paint the best picture of a holy person in our society. He can seem as, you know, as, as, as holy as you can be. But in his personal life, in his dealings, the inheritance, for example, for his sister was taken away, wasn't given to her full share. He was separating in the business from his brother, he shortchanged him. His suppliers, he delays in paying them. He declared insolvency, etc., etc. Then fa'anna yustajabula. All of this on one side can, all the reasons for piety can be there. But how is that going to be accepted in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And unfortunately, respected friends and elders, these few examples that I have given, how people are usurping the, the wealth of others, is increasing and increasing in society. Whether it be by means of the inheritance, or by partnerships dissolving, or by settling our debts with suppliers, or settling personal loans also. This kind of deceit and treachery and reading and dealing is increasing in the society. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us and save us. Then at the end of the day, that, that, that drive is not there to engage in the ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't feel that satisfaction in salah. We don't feel that satisfaction when we gave our zakat, etc. This is one primary cause for being deprived. This is one primary cause for being deprived of the enjoyment and the ecstasy and the satisfaction in ibadah and worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَبِظُلْمٍ مِّنَ الَّذِينَ هَادُوا حَرَّمْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ طَيِّبَاتٍ أُحِلَّتْ لَهُمْ Mufassirun under this verse also make the same point. That if you're going to commit zulm on somebody else, Ibn Ajiba rahimahullah, a mufassir of the latter times from this particular verse, extracts the same meaning. Although here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about the ummahs gone by, about the Jews, and their zulm and the repercussions of their zulm. But from there he has extracted the same meaning, that if we're going to be committing zulm on people around us, then you're going to be deprived of things that are pure. You're going to be deprived of that, that laddat and that enjoyment in the ibadat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah give us tawfiq wa akhru da'wan alhamdulillah.